world is there, can you guess what happened? Well, what usually happens when you're tired and you're hot and you have to wait in line? Yeah, usually nothing good. Usually nothing good happens at all. These moments are not our finest moments, are they? Raise your hand if you have been in this position and it did not turn out well. Be honest. Yeah, me too. Be honest. Well, I noticed, uh, while I was in line, I was at the checkout, and um, I noticed that I could make room for the person behind me uh, to put their stuff down. I was not aware of this, <laughs> of my attitude or anything. And the, the funny thing is that someone said, hey, excuse me, do you go to First Baptist? I was like, uh-huh. I sure do, and God bless you on this fine day. <laughs> and we had a really nice talk. In fact, they go to the 930 service. Are they in here? The couple, I, there you guys are. Hello again. <laughs> and we had a nice chat. Nothing bad happened, right? He introduced me to his wife. We talked about Brad being on sabbatical. I said, I'm preaching on Sunday. Make sure you come and you're here. It's good to see you. But it was funny because I get into my car and I realized that I am preaching a sermon on waiting, and I actually have a good story to tell about waiting in line at the grocery store. And I was laughing, I'm like, whew, thanks God, I didn't mess that one up. <laughs> but there are times when we're not so wonderful in those moments, because we as humans, we do not like to wait. We don't at all. In fact, a New York Times article uh, was written by the journalist Alex Stone tells the story about how executives at the Houston airport faced and then solved a cascade of passenger complaints about how long the wait is at baggage claim. Can you relate? Yes. It is a universal problem. So the airport decided, okay, well, we want this to get better. We want the complaints to go down. So they decided to hire more baggage handlers. Get the baggage off the plane onto the conveyor belt. But it shaved like a minute or less off at the time. So they went back to the drawing board, and they came up with this innovative idea. They're like, we got it. Let's move the arrival gate further away from, <laughs> from the baggage claim. <laughs> Therefore, because they found that as soon as people get off the plane, they are speed walking like they never had before to get to the baggage claim to get their luggage. Lo and behold, it is not there. And they have an approximate seven, time, seven minutes of time to wait. And it is those seven minutes... <laughs> that our angers rise and complaint forms are filled out. Now we can do it on our, on our phones. But when they did this, when they separated and made a greater distance between the uh, arrival gate and the, and the baggage claim, they saw complaints drop. And it's interesting that this, this journalist wanted to know why. And so he reached out to MIT operations researcher Richard Larson. And believe it or not, he is the world's leading expert on waiting in lines. There is such a person. And he spoke into the psychology of this, which actually makes for a perfect illustration. According to Larson, the length of time, the, the length of, time of our wait really isn't uh, a problem. It's what we're doing while we wait. Especially, we can tolerate the occupied time. For example, when we're walking from the arrival gate to the baggage claim. Because we're doing something. That's okay in our brains and our patients. But it's that unoccupied time where we're just staring. <laughs> and tick, 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 time is going. That makes it 
hard. That drives us crazy. Give us something to do while we wait, and the wait becomes tolerable. But this is why so often waiting on God feels like unoccupied time to us. We wait, but what is really happening behind the scenes of our lives? We don't know. Is God actually doing something? Waiting on God implies developing a new perspective on what God is doing while we wait on him. We have all lost it to one degree or another in an everyday waiting situation like traffic. But what about those long seasons of waiting on God? What about those years and decades of praying, of waiting, of not knowing the result? That feeling of unoccupied time when we don't know how or when God is going to act or when your breakthrough is coming. This kind of waiting of continuing down the long road without a clear resolution can be so incredibly difficult, especially because these long seasons of time, these long seasons of wait, have to do with the things and the people that we hold most dear. Isn't that right? Of deliverance, of pain, of deliverance from pain, of restoration, of healing, reconciliation. These aren't five minutes in line at the store wondering why they are not opening another checkout station, right? It is not that. This is another wait altogether. These are deep, long seasons of wait. Some of the most difficult times in my life have been these long seasons of wait. The two longest chapters that I have been praying for the same Prayer request, the same prayer over and over. Uh, One has been for 30 years, one has been for 20 years. For 30 years, I've been praying for the salvation of my dad. He's still lost, still running hard the other direction away from God. For 20 years, I've been praying for a resolution, an end to a situation that he has caused in my life that is still creating great hardship. And to me, they're so incredibly intertwined because one is a symptom of the other. He is lost, he is deep in sin, and there's consequences to sin. And sometimes the people in our lives and families are impacted by it. And that's what we're walking through. So for me, this message has come from years of learning how to wait. So I remember praying, especially this during the 20 years time of prayer, this, this situation for it to come to an end, at the height of the situation, or, or should I say at the depth of it, when, when it was really bad. I remember being on my knees and crying out to God, Lord, help me in this. I don't know if I can do this any longer. Just make it stop. Make it stop. I was praying for an abrupt end. But instead, what came was a deeper understanding of the sovereignty of God and how those decades of prayer, they were not unoccupied time whatsoever. I had to learn how to wait for an abrupt end, not an abrupt end, not a resolution, but I had to learn how to wait on God, with God, and in God. There is a difference. And when I gained a better understanding of trusting in God, And how vital it is to have my heart, my mind, my soul all in line with scripture. 
I began to walk in hope and not despair, walking in freedom and not in bondage, claiming the promises of Scripture and not the lies of the enemy. There's a huge difference in how you wait when you do that. Learning how to wait gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. It reminds us and it refreshes us. It refreshes even the driest parts of our spirit because God is for us. He is not against us. And he never leaves our side that in him and through him we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers, aren't we, church? Living in the truth of the words that Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have come to overcome the what? The world. Listen to those words and how mighty they are to overcome the world, not just one problem, not just three decades of prayer, not just one lost family member, a diagnosis, a loss of income, a broken relationship, but all of it for all of us. We are to take heart, not lose heart. For he came to overcome the world, and he who came to overcome the world is in your corner. He is your covering. He is your foundation and your rock. He is your banner of victory hanging over you. He has got you. And never forget that and never be convinced otherwise. When we get into these long periods of waiting, our thoughts and our hearts can wander. And we can begin to question. And we can begin to use language and words that are not good for us. Do you understand what I'm saying? The thoughts and words we speak are powerful, aren't they? And the words like never. Listen to what Charles Stanley, pastor and author, wrote about this word. Never. It is a word that can stir up the deepest fear in even the bravest heart. Never. I will never find a job. It will never get better. I'll never be respected. She will never respond to me. I'll never get married. I'll never have the child that I long for. He will never come home to me. This wounded heart will never heal. It is a lie that originates with our sinful nature. It assists on putting a decisive end to all of our hopes. Don't bother to dream. It whimpers cruelly. You don't deserve it. Stop wishing for what can never be. And so we continue to drive nails into the coffin of our dearest longings. The Lord never answers my prayers, you might say. But this is the very challenge of waiting on God. It is the ability to keep hoping when the nevers of life bombard us. When we have the most passionate pleads, when the minutes and hours and days and years tick, tick, tick away without any answers, when we go to the throne of grace. It's the faith to hang on to the Father on the long road. When human reason tells us to give up, the only never that you should focus on is that God is never going to let you down. So whatever it is you yearn for, no matter how long you have to wait, you can trust the Father to lead you and know for absolute certain that he has your very best interest in mind. The key for you is to remember whom it is that you are really anticipating. Isn't that a good word? That's that's Charles Stanley, not me. (laughs) But it reminds me of this saying 
What we tend to grows. You hear that? What we tend to grows. What we give time, what we give energy, what we give effort to grows and it takes roots. So don't tend to the negative thoughts and emotions which can so easily, so easily eclipse the truth of God, which can eclipse the power of sovereignty in our lives, his goodness, his steadfastness. This leads me actually to your first blank in your outline if you want to pull that out and take notes. It is so important while you're learning how to wait to direct your focus to God. Keep your eyes on him. Colossians 3, 2 says this, set your mind on things above. Scripture is very clear about the battlefield of the mind and how to win and how to direct your focus onto God. Philippians 4, 8 says this, talks about your focus. It says this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, you think on these things. Don't entertain the negative. Don't entertain the dysfunction. Don't entertain the nevers. Instead, shift your focus on the truth of Scripture. Shift your focuses on the promises of God. Change your mindset. This will change your perspective. This will change you and deepen your faith. And this will be a foundational truth which is essential to learning how to wait. I want to teach you an exercise that um, I discovered while I was going through one of these long waiting periods of my life. And it'll help you to keep your focus on God. Um, It's written in your outline and you can follow along in the screens for your note taking. Number one, write down your distraction triggers. Write down a list of things, the people, the situation, the lies of the enemy, the thoughts, the emotions that make you lose your focus on God. What triggers you to take your eyes and your attention off of him? Identify them, name them, write them down. I'm a firm believer that if you can identify a trigger that leads you away from God, that takes away and messes with your hope, your joy, your attention, you have a responsibility to work on that. Don't accept it. You have a responsibility to root it out. The language I use in my life is to declare war on it. I don't want to entertain thoughts or strongholds in my life that bring distraction or distance in my relationship with God. Identify them. Write them down. If you're like me, declare war on them. Number two, claim scripture. Search scripture and find a verse or two that is your sword to fight against those triggers that will take your eyes and your heart away from God. I've actually included a list of scriptures on the back of your outline that's a starting point for you. And these all have to do with endurance, patience, strength. So if you need help and um, just to find how and to utilize in claiming scripture, that's a starting list for you. All right? Number three, prayerfully use the scripture to redirect your focus back to God. Every time they pop into your life, claim that scripture. Pray over your situation. Ask God for help in that moment. Do it every single time. Those, not, those thoughts are not welcome anymore. They are not of God. They are not for your good. These triggers can keep us in a mental, emotional, spiritual hamster wheel of instability. That when you could be claiming and walking in stability, health, freedom, only found when we keep our eyes and our focus and our direction towards God. For example, in... I'm going to give you an example of how I use this in my life. 
In my mid-20s, I realized that one of my biggest um, like triggers of distraction was fear. I was completely riddled with it. My heart rate would go up in certain situations or when I was talking to certain people. My brain couldn't function as quickly or easily. My palms would get sweaty. I would avoid situations and conversations that I thought were too much for me. And when I realized this, I followed these steps. I identified it, taking it to God. I searched scripture, and I claimed Romans 8.37. You guys know this verse? Yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I claim and I walked in the truth of that scripture every single day. Every single day, it was in the forefront of my mind and the center of my prayers. And when I, when I began to become fearful, I would pray. I would stop and pray. Even if I was in conversation with someone, my eyes were open, I would pray. Like, Lord, take this fear from me. This is not from you. I am more than a conqueror from you. I am not a fearful person. Help me in this moment. I did this every single day, every single time fear started to pop up for three months. Every day became easier than the last until it wasn't a struggle for me. But it took me being faithful and claiming and engaging in the truth of Scripture to fight back. I realized that Jesus didn't die on the cross so I could wake up every morning riddled with fear. He didn't claim victory over death so I could become overwhelmed by life. No, I am more than a conqueror in him, and it was about time I decided to live according to that truth. And you might be thinking, that's too hard for me. These steps, that is hard. I know it's hard. But you know what's even more difficult? Living in fear for years. That is hard having to impact your relationships, your thought process, your self-esteem, your view of the sovereignty of God, that is even more difficult. Or you might say, it took you three months. Who knows how long it would take me? I'm out. That's too overwhelming for me. But three months of walking towards three freedom is so much better and so much, there's so much power and you get so much endurance and hope and strength to go through that journey. And even though it might be difficult to root out, three months is nothing in comparison to decades of living in fear and bondage. It's nothing. Because the hope and freedom that is on the other side, that you begin to experience daily a bit more and a bit more, is amazing. Is You get whiplash when you look at the difference. Because God is in it. And I want you to hear this. It means picking up your sword the word of God, and fighting back. You are not too exhausted. You are not too beaten down because God is with you. He will empower you. He will give you the boldness to claim victory and to walk away from fear or anxiety or worry or grief or loss and don't settle for the distractions of today. Instead, take them to the foot of the cross and read the strength you need for today and the hope you need for tomorrow. This means being honest about your faith. This means participating in your spiritual growth. This means choosing to spend time with God in worship and in prayer and in his word. It is about true self-reflection, not lying to yourself, and growing up and growing in and through God. This is not just a to-do list to keep you distracted during the wait. 
No. These are steps to freedom. Take them. Embrace God. Live in the awareness of his presence. Direct your focus on him and expect him to reveal his awesome plan for your life because he has one. Be confident because according to Psalm chapter 25 verse 3, it says, Indeed, none of those who wait for God will be ashamed. Direct your focus to him. Number two, in order to learn how to wait We need to live with an expectant endurance. Colossians 1.11 says, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Embracing, claiming, and living out the truth of this scripture is what radically changed my faith. Because look at this. It's not just surviving a trial. It's not just surviving a time of wait. It's not just God giving you endurance, which is awesome in and of itself. But what is it that he also gives you? Patience with joy. There's so many times where I'm looking back in the stories of my time and wait, and I'm not living with patience with joy. That's because my eyes, my attention, my focus wasn't on God, and I certainly wasn't living with expectant endurance. In him we are strong, strengthened with the power of his glorious might, as it says in this verse. When I read that with fresh eyes about 15 years ago, I grabbed hold of this scripture like it was a life preserver, knowing it was truth for my life, not just to get through, but to have joy in the process. I can't help but to think of King David when I think of expectant endurance. In 1 Samuel 16, we read that David was really um, only about 10 to 15 years old when he was first commissioned to be the next king. But he really wasn't actually crowned king until he was 30. So that's 15 to 20 years of waiting. And this wasn't just a cushy apprenticeship waiting for his time to get on the throne. It was hard. These were hard times. In those years, eight of those years, he was running from the current King Saul at the time. He was in constant danger. He was homeless. He was without a source of income. His life was in danger. He was literally being tracked down and hunted like an animal. His wife was given to another man, and his best friend died in battle. That's a tough eight years. And these years were years of incredible hardship and incredible loss. That being said, he was just ahead of Saul's men escaping to live another day. There were many times in these years where David cried out to God. Did he endure this wait patient uh, perfectly? No. But every time his focus got off of God, he put it right back. He sought after God. In fact, when you're reading through this time of David's life, there is a consistent um, phrase that is sown through Scripture again and again and again. And it says this, he inquired of the Lord. He stayed connected to God. He would seek after God. He would ask God what is next. He lived with expectant endurance. In fact, he wrote in Psalm 62.5, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is in him. So if you're in a time of waiting, wait on God like David, knowing that God is going to work 
in his timing, according to his will, in his very nature, that will give you the same hope and endurance that it gave David. Live with expectant endurance means that we think and that we pray differently. It means that we are purposeful. The finding meaning in the delay because we look with anticipation of God's perfect direction, preparation, and provision. It means we are active, that we trust that God is working in the unseen and that we will discover his will and we will claim his promises and continue to obey him step by step. It means, I love this, that we are courageous, that we are willing to face adversity and to forego the good for, to take hold of God's best for us in our lives. You see, all of this changes the waiting game. It takes us from a place of despair, from considering the nevers in our life, to embracing and to submitting to the very will of God who created you, who has a plan and a purpose for your life. The same God who in Habakkuk 1.5 responded to the cries of his prophet who was learning how to wait, he said this to him. He said, look at the nations, watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days even if you were told, it would blow you away. It would blow you away. It would take your breath away. You wouldn't even believe it if I told you. Live with expectant endurance. Because you may not be able to see or feel, but you need to know that God is at work. This is not unoccupied time. And we need to know that God's work is astounding. Just like in Habakkuk 1.5. It takes our breath away. There is not a specific timetable here. But God is saying, in your days, something's going to happen. You wouldn't even believe it if I told you. It is going to be amazing. Just wait on me. Lastly, and the third point on your outline is this. Never give up. Second Chronicles 15.7 says this. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. This is the work of directing your focus on God. This is the work of living with expectant endurance, and it will be rewarded. We just don't know exactly what that reward looks like, but that's okay. We don't need to know. In your waiting, the Father is refining you and fitting you according to his awesome purposes. His son, Jesus, died on the cross to give you unfettered access to your creator. And now Jesus sits on his right hand interceding for you daily. The Holy Spirit on the moment of salvation is in you and with you always as your counselor. You are not alone. You can do this. Do not give up. Wait and do it well. Do not give up in the midst of waiting. Because God is preparing you for the thing he has prepared you for. Don't give up. Our Heavenly Father isn't driven, limited, or intimidated by the seeming impossibilities or the complex earthly circumstances that we face. Rather, he is motivated to act on our behalf out of his unconditional love and his wonderful plans that he has for you. He is working powerfully to teach you to listen to him, to transform your character, to strengthen your commitment, to establish your faith, and to free you from bondage. So learn to wait. 
This is not an innovative trick to keep your mind busy in the meanwhile, like the baggage claim example. This is scriptural truth. Learn how to overcome these difficult times in and through God. In fact, next week's sermon will be the last in this Overcomer series in which we'll, you guys will be encouraged. We will all be encouraged and equipped in how to walk through adversity with Jesus Christ, our Savior. You don't want to miss it. But therefore, don't despair. Never give up. The season of waiting is for an excellent purpose. And if you remain, I want you to hear this, if you remain in your present circumstances until you re- see further instructions, until something changes, or until you experience the breakthrough that you have been praying for. Do these things. Seek his face. Obey him. Walk in faith rather than sight. You will certainly not be disappointed in the freedom that is on the other side. I want to close us in prayer in a different way. These seasons of wait are hard. I've been through them. I'm still going through them. If you are currently experiencing a season of wait and you needed to hear this sermon today, if you need help to overcome what's going on in your life, I want to invite you to stand as we pray because I want to pray over you. I want to challenge you to stand today. And you taking the stand not only represents that you need prayer in your life, but it represents that you are taking a stand against the distraction and the despair of the time of wait can so easily bring. Stand not only to be prayed over, but stand because you are not a victim to the circumstances in your life, but you are a victor in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, We come to you in the name of Jesus. We come before you today in recognition, in awe of your majesty and power. For you are constant, unchangeable, and true. And we boldly approach your throne of grace and mercy in our time of need. And Lord God, I am lifting my brothers and sisters up to you today who are in a difficult time of waiting. Months, years, even decades crying out to you. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that you would, as they hear and read scripture, you would strengthen them. You would empower them. That you would calm their spirits and give them peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray that they will experience you in a unique way according to the uniqueness of the situation that they are walking through. I pray for strength, not weakness. I pray for victory, not defeat. I pray for clarity, not confusion. I pray their trust in you would increase daily. And their hearts and minds would not shift from you to despair. But they keep their hope in you. Breathe life into those beaten down places. Bring healing. Restore. Refresh refresh those dry parts of their souls. May you give them strength of endurance to declare war in the things in their lives that are not of you. So they can walk in the freedom that you give. We thank you and we praise you that you are the giver of life and that we don't have to settle for just surviving life, but you give us abundant life through your son, Jesus Christ. May we not settle for anything less. Thank you for caring and repairing the areas of brokenness in our lives. Thank you for purposing these times of waiting. May we keep our focus on you. May we live in expectant anticipation. And may we never give up on the hope and freedom in you, that you give. Lord, give all in this pray, place strength for today and hope 
for tomorrow. Amen.